Our podcast is called Big If True, but do you know where the title of the show came from? It's kind of a silly thing, actually. Our show is meant to make a little bit of fun of the phrase Big If True, which people sometimes use on the internet. They use it to say that an idea is either so truly amazing or so truly ridiculous that's impossible for it to be true. Or sometimes they use it when people say extremely obvious things. Like if someone said, the earth is round, like it was a completely new idea, people might respond, big if true, as a way to mock them. On our show, we like to tell you about truly amazing things that are also really big. So that's why our show is called Big Big If If True. True, where I, Maggie, and I, Abby, explore the truth about big things. Today we're thinking about big ideas and how we learn those big ideas. And we're also thinking about how we can know those ideas are true. Today we're talking about the news. So we're talking to not just one, but two special guests today. Our guests come from two really big news organizations who tell millions of people every day about what's happening in the world. We want to know how those news organizations make sure they're telling us the truth. So here's our quiz question for today. Why is it so important that news sources tell us the most accurate and fair stories they can? A. So that we can make the best informed decisions about our lives. B. So that we don't spread lies about other people. C. So that we can see multiple perspectives. Or D. All of the above. By the end of the show, we shouldn't need to tell you the answer. You should have already figured it out. Our first guest works in the print media, which now exists on both paper and on the internet. My name is Yoni Applebaum, and I'm an editor at The Atlantic. What is The Atlantic? We're a magazine. For 150 years, we were a magazine that came to your house on paper. Uh, And now we're a magazine that you can find on the internet, too. How many people read The Atlantic? Every month, we have about 30 million individual readers, uh, and we have close to a million subscribers. How many articles does The Atlantic release every day online? Uh, You know, it depends how much is going on in the world that day. On average, about 10 articles each day. What kinds of things does The Atlantic publish? All sorts of things. What we publish most often are articles about things that are happening in the world. There's a lot of articles about science, about health. Like a lot of places, we've been writing a lot of things about COVID lately because people are really interested in that or about schools because everybody wants to understand how we're supposed to learn this year with all the COVID stuff going on. But we also publish things like poems or short stories, beautiful photographs, videos even. And we try to find different ways to let our authors, our writers, uh, express their ideas to our readers. How do you make sure what you publish is accurate and fair? That is the best question you could possibly ask. We spend a lot of time trying to do that, but we have a lot of ways to try to make sure that what we're publishing is accurate and fair. The first is the best part about being a journalist. I think the best part of my job is that if I'm curious about something, I can pick up the phone or write an email or go knock on somebody's door and I can ask them. And because I'm a journalist, they'll usually answer. So that's the first thing I do is we talk to people. We don't know everything in the world, but we can ask lots of questions of people who know a lot more. Uh, And so anytime that somebody is reporting an article, they start off by calling people who understand about it. They call different kinds of experts. Like if it was an article about COVID, who do you think we could call? Scientists. 
yeah, maybe a kind of scientist called a virologist who studies viruses, or we could call an epidemiologist who studies the way that diseases spread through populations, or we could call a doctor who's taking care of COVID patients, and we call all those people. Uh, everybody sees the world a little bit differently. So we also pay attention to make sure that some of the experts we talk to are men and some are women, uh, that some come from America and some come from other places. We want to make sure that we're talking to people who have different perspectives and different experiences. So that's the second thing we do. First, we find the experts. Then we make sure we're talking to a bunch of different experts who have different perspectives. And we'll also try really hard, if a bunch of experts are all telling us the same thing, to find somebody who disagrees with them. We may or may not quote them in the article, but we want to at least talk to them and understand why they disagree, how, how the world looks to them. Uh, because until you hear the best objection or the best disagreement, it's really hard to know whether or not the things that the other experts are telling you are accurate. So that's, that's one way that we go about making sure that our work is good. A second way we go about doing it um, is talking to ordinary people. Uh, sometimes journalists haven't done a good job of doing that. They didn't talk to people who maybe their opinions they didn't value so much. So maybe they talked to a bunch of experts about women, but they didn't actually talk to women. And that wasn't any good uh, because the experts didn't necessarily know. Uh, so we need to make sure that we're talking to ordinary people too to get their perspective. And then there are editors who look at the work that the journalists bring in. So you write your draft and you send it to the editor. And the editor asks a lot of questions. <laughs> so we ask questions about well, how do you know this? Or how does the person who talked to you know this? Or did you talk to somebody who had a different perspective? So all of the things we just talked about, the editor makes sure that's happened. We'll go back and, and we'll make sure that, that the information in the story is accurate. If you wanna say that there are a thousand blue whales in the world, we would wanna know, is that really true? We might talk to an expert the journalist didn't talk to and say, that number doesn't sound right to us. And, and then, we'd go and, and we'd see if we could fix the number. Then there are copy editors who check to make sure that all the language is clear and, and that uh, all of the names are spelled correctly because you know that's the kind of thing that you can make a mistake on really easily. And then whenever we have the time, we have a whole team of fact checkers. And the fact checkers are, are one of my favorite parts of this process. If we're quoting somebody in a story, the fact checker will go back and they'll listen to the tape of the conversation to make sure that the quote is accurate and not just accurate, but that it's fair, that we haven't taken it out of context. Or if we have a number in a story, they'll want to find the source for that number. If we're quoting a book, they don't just want to know what book we're taking the quote from. They want to go back and see where the book found the fact. And if they're quoting another book, they'll go back until they find the original document to make sure that it got quoted accurately all along the way. It is a very humbling thing to have your work fact-checked. I've never had a story that I've sent to the fact-checkers where they haven't found a mistake because everybody makes mistakes, no matter how careful we think we're being. And it's really important to us to have that, that whole backup team that goes through everything and makes sure not just that everything in it is accurate, but everything in it is as fair as we can make it. Uh, and so that's how we make sure that things are accurate. And you know the crazy thing, Maggie? Even with all that work, we still get things wrong. What do you do if it turns out you publish something that wasn't accurate or fair? That's the worst feeling because we try so hard to, to be fair and to be accurate that when we make mistakes, it really feels bad. And, and sometimes when you make a mistake, you don't want to admit it, right? Because it's hard to say that you messed up. The important thing when we make a mistake is to fix it. So as soon as somebody contacts us or, or the writer 
reaches out to the editor and says, we think there's a mistake in the story. We start a process. We go and we re-report it. We, we see whether or not it really was a mistake. And once we decide what the article should have said, we create a correction. So we'll change the original text of the article and we'll add a note at the bottom. And the note explains why we changed it and what we've changed. And that way, what we're saying to our readers is, we think things that we publish are accurate. And when we mess up, we're going to tell you, we're going to be honest with you because we're human and we're going to make mistakes. But when we make those mistakes, we're not going to change it sneakily. We'll tell you where we make the mistake and then you can look at it and you can trust that when you're reading something, if there is a mistake in it and it's brought to our attention, we'll fix it. The worst feeling is if we've written something that's not true about somebody and hurt them. Whenever somebody contacts us and says, I don't think this thing you wrote about me is fair, that's something we take very, very seriously. Why is it so important that news sources like The Atlantic only say true things? Well, when you think about how you know things that are out there in the world, none of us has enough knowledge or enough time to figure everything out for ourselves. And so if we're going to have conversations with each other, we need to agree on a set of facts. We all need to be able to have a certain set of things that we believe to be true. And, and you need to be able to turn to the news media in order to understand what those things are. There are two kinds of things you'll find in stories that you read in the media or things that you watch on television or programs that you listen to on the radio or even a podcast. One is a set of facts. Facts are things where we can look at them and say they're true or they're false. Your name is Maggie. If I called you something else, that would be false. And then there are things that are more opinions or interpretation. And those are not facts, but they do shape the way you understand things. And so if I told you I'm a really good journalist, that's just an opinion. You might have a very different opinion about my work. And that is not the kind of thing that we will correct. It wouldn't be the kind of thing that we said is, is wrong. But it also means that in addition to knowing that the facts and the things you're reading are accurate, we want to be sure we're accurate, but that's not enough. We also want to be sure that we're fair. Our second guest is from the audio side of news media. You might hear him say some things that are the same as Yoni, but some things are different when we're thinking about a different way of getting the news. Also, you'll probably hear some construction noises in the background. We're all recording from unusual places these days. My name is Steve Inskeep, and I work for various places, but mainly for NPR, National Public Radio. What is NPR? NPR is a news organization. It's an organization of hundreds of reporters and editors and producers, as we call them, all around the world. And we provide news of the world and across the country to NPR radio stations. And there are hundreds of them in cities across the country, like WAMU in Washington or KQED in San Francisco all these local stations that do their own local news and also carry our national and international news. NPR has now been around for 50 years. In fact, our 50th anniversary celebration begins in May. NPR is still here to be independent, to provide reliable news and information, and we do that on the radio, but we also do it through podcasts. NPR sometimes says it's the world's leading podcaster, I think that might still be true. We're certainly among the very top ones. And 
also just at npr.org and various other digital platforms, as they call them. We even do video. What shows are you involved in? I am co-host of a show called Morning Edition, which is our morning news program. I am also co-host of a podcast called Up First, which is our morning news podcast. And I occasionally do things for just about every other show at one time or another. How many listeners do your shows have? Morning Edition brags that they're the most popular radio program in the country with maybe 14 million people who listen at least one time in the course of a week. And some people tune in several times and some people maybe only once. So any given day, maybe six or seven million people tune in. Why do you think people listen to NPR? I think what we try to do for people, and, you know, people listening can decide if we manage to do it, we try to give reliable information that is told in a story so that you can easily understand it. And we give what's called a lot of context, which is we don't just say the very latest thing that has happened. We try to understand what it means and what is the history, what things happened before this that caused the president to say that thing or caused a senator to do something or caused people to be marching in protest in Minneapolis or any number of things that could happen. I think one reason that people like audio in particular is because when you're just listening and not watching a video, you can hear the words and follow the words and follow the story. Sometimes the images can even make it harder to follow the story because maybe the images aren't saying quite exactly the same thing as the words, and it can actually be harder to tell a complicated story in video than it sometimes can in audio. Another thing, by the way, that I think makes people like to listen to audio is they can do it while they are multitasking. Do you know what I mean when I say multitasking? Um, doing multiple things at one time. Yes, exactly. So like when somebody's cooking, they can listen, or when they're driving, they can listen, or whatever. For your shows, how do you make sure that your reports are accurate and fair? That is a great question, and we constantly worry about that and constantly work on it. One thing is by asking the people that we're covering what they're doing and what they think. That seems obvious, but you will find a lot of news programming where they don't really do that. They just give their opinions but we'll actually call up the president or call up a congressman or call up that person marching in Minneapolis or call up your mom or whoever and say, I heard this thing about you. Is it true? Or I heard that you're involved in this issue. Why do you think it is important to change the length of the school day or whatever you're trying to get done in the world? We talk to the people and we try when possible to go see things for ourselves. I've traveled over the years overseas a lot. And when you go to a different country like Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or Libya or China or some of the other places that I've been over the years, when you get there and just look around, a lot of things become possible to understand that maybe were hard to understand before. Our stories are not always 
right. And sometimes they're right, but not complete. So if you had some kind of a fight, I'm not saying this would ever happen. If you had some kind of a fight with your brother and your mom had intervened, maybe you would each have a different story about what happened or what went wrong. And so it could be if we were going to do a story about your fight in the family on the radio, maybe I would interview your brother today and he'd have a particular story and maybe we were unable to reach you today. So he told his story, but we don't have the whole story yet because we haven't got your perspective. So the good part is we have another show tomorrow. So when we're done with that interview with your brother, we'll probably say, I'm not sure we've got the whole story yet. We should reach out to Maggie and see what she has to say. And so maybe we'd try to interview you the next day. It's really like that with news stories. There's like always new information coming in or a different perspective you can get on the same events. And so we just try to come back tomorrow and do a little better than we did today. Since your show is every day, it must be hard to check the accuracy of everything. What happens if you accidentally say something incorrect? If we say something that is wrong and that does happen, we correct it. We change it. And if it's a very minor thing, we might just say it differently and better the next time. But if it's a big deal, we'll do what's called a correction. We will say on the air, we did this wrong yesterday. This is the fact that we have today. So that does happen. What happens more than more often than just being wrong is just, as I mentioned before, not quite having the whole story yet. And we're constantly aware of that. And, and as I said, I think having the show on every day is actually a benefit because it's an admission that we don't have the whole world. The world is so big and complicated and always changing. We won't ever have the whole story today, but we'll come back tomorrow. Why is it so important that news sources like NPR only say true things? Because so many people say things that aren't true. We live in a democracy. We have what's called self-government, which means we don't have a king or a dictator to make all the decisions for us. We have to make decisions for ourselves. And we make them by voting collectively with our friends and our family and our neighbors uh, and even people across the country that we've never met. And if we don't know what's going on, we can't make good decisions for ourselves or for anybody else. But if we do know what's going on, we can have faith that we're making the best decision we can. There's a quote, and I'm fearful that I will misremember who said it. It's either Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln said, let the people know the facts and the country will be saved. That's what we're trying to do, is just to share information with our fellow citizens so that we all can make smart decisions. Speaking of fact-checking, we have fact-checked that quotation. It turns out that Abraham Lincoln never said those exact words. He said something pretty similar, though. We've linked to an article about the transmogrification of the line in our show notes. One of the people who tracked down the quotation's real history is Yoni Applebaum. Thank you, Stephen Yoni, for telling us all about the news and how important it is for news media, especially big news companies, to tell us the most accurate and fair stories that they can. By the way, did you hear the answer to our quiz question? It's all of the choices. We need fair and accurate news so that we can make the best informed decisions about our lives, so that we don't spread lies about other people, and so that we can see multiple perspectives. So now, listeners, it's your turn. 
When you listen to the news or read it over the next few days, think about whether you hear the kind of carefulness Yoni and Steve described. Are you hearing multiple perspectives? Can you find out where the news story got its facts from? And if you aren't hearing those things, maybe look for another story as well, so that you can give yourself a different perspective. And that's our show. Join us next time for another episode of Big Big If If True. True. Big If True is produced by me, Abby, and Maggie. Special thanks this week to our two guests, Yoni Applebaum and Steve Inskeep. You can learn more about them in our show notes and, of course, in the news. Our music is by Andrew Cody. Special shout out to Mrs. Grace Choi, who requested that we cover this topic. We hope you like what we put together. And most of all, listeners, thank you for listening. <laughs>